Welcome to Life Source Church. We are so glad you found us. We hope that you will experience God with us as you hear the preaching of the Word. It's funny, first service, Dan introduced me as PDL, and people are probably like, who is that? When I worked with the teens, they used to call me PDL, Pastor Dave Langren. That's where that comes from, in case you're ever wondering what that was. And so it was like somebody must have asked them, because now it was Pastor Dave. So, kind of funny. Well, it's cooling off. Have you noticed? Yeah, it's funny. It's beard season, for sure, you know. It's funny. This year, though, it's like, when I used to grow a beard, people used to go, oh, you kind of look like George Michael. And it was like, now I grow a beard, it's like, oh, you kind of look like Trapper John Mendy. So it's like, it's a big difference. I couldn't believe how white it was this year. It's like, scary. It's like, who is that? Uh, we're going to be in Romans 18. We're, we're rounding up or coming together with a bold series. Acts 18, uh, if you don't have your Bible with you, it's page 1277 in the Bible that's in the chairs there. Um, but we're kind of bringing this to a conclusion, wrapping it up, um, trying to come to, all right, what do we do with all of this boldness? Um, and, and I have uh, titled my message today, you know, Bold Messengers, because I think that's really what we need to kind of focus in on. Yes, we're supposed to be bold, but what, what type of bold is that supposed to be? So bold messengers. Um, I know I enjoy a little bit of humor, so uh, I found a, a joke that would be appropriate for this time of year. Um, pastor has taken a new church, and um, so he was looking for some place to rent, and um, there was a house that was in the town that uh, was available for rent. It was the only place, really, and so he was like, uh, all right. The realtor said, well, you know, this house is haunted. He's like, well, I don't believe that stuff, so it's like, it's not a big deal for me. So he rents this house, and he moves in, and all of a sudden, this ghost shows up. And he's like, I don't know what to think about this. I don't really believe in you, but here you are. And so, anyways, he, he starts to tell his friends that, you know, boy, they were right. There is this ghost thing that shows up, and they're like, you know, look, you're a pastor. You don't believe in that stuff. We don't believe you either, unless you can give us some kind of concrete proof. We don't want to hear about it. So he's thinking, all right, all right let me, I'll get a picture of this ghost for you and prove it to you. And so he goes there, and he's like, he's looking around, waiting for him to show up, and he doesn't show up, and so he starts calling for him. And so finally he shows up. And so he's like, you know, he explains that, you know, I really don't believe in you, but here you are, and my friends, I'm telling them, and now they don't believe in you, and so they said, I need to get a picture of you. And so he's like, sure, go ahead. And so they try to get a picture together, and he takes the picture, and he goes to show his friends, and he goes, look, here it is. They're like, it's just you. He's like, ah, oh, now he's messing with me. So he goes back to the house, and he's like, what'd you do? It's like, you know, I'm trying to prove that you exist. You would think you would want that. Come on, what's going on? He looks at it, and he goes, I can only conclude one thing. The spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. <laughs> it's corny, I know. It's just... If you're going to get a joke about ghosts that aren't real, it might as well be corny and stupid. All right. <laughs> so, looking at this, looking at this whole series of boldness and all that we've learned, what I wanted to do was kind of roll back and going back to Acts 1 8. Because I think that's where the foundation of really what's going on here needs to be focused upon. Um, Acts 1 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. Key words. Telling people. Telling people. Uh, Francis of Assisi has been noted for um, saying, Preach the gospel, and if you must, use words. 
and it's a, it's a great intent, and we as people took that and ran with it. And basically what we said is, we really don't have to say anything. As long as we live and look okay, people are going to get it. But that's not what it says here. That's not what it says here. You'll receive power when the Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Okay, you will be. Imperative. You're going to be. It's going to happen. It needs to happen. Telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We've got to use words, especially in the time in which we live. Uh, it was interesting, after the first service, uh, a teen came up to me and said, you know, I'm witnessing to my friend, and he like, just doesn't get it, and I don't know where to go with this. And it's like helping him understand, like he's been raised in the church, he knows the words, the phrases, he gets the imagery, it's part of his life. I said, now make believe you were going to some foreign land and trying to tell them about anything. They're not going to get it. Because first you're going to have to learn their language. And then you're going to have to explain all this stuff you know in terms that they're going to get. And that's literally the culture and the time in which we live. You know, the places that God has placed us, the neighborhoods, the, the work environments, all of that, the friends that have kind of become our sphere of influence, they don't get it. And we've got to use words, and we've got to tell them about who Christ is and what that means and how that needs to work and apply to their life. Because this day and age, we are four generations out of people who even have any kind of connectivity to religion or religiosity. They're just, we're that far away now. And, you know, we're about to embark on a fifth generation. So they don't know any of the words. They don't know any of the imagery. They don't have any of the stories. None of the background. It's not normal or kind of common to them. They've never set foot. That was cool. Yesterday, Trunk or Treat, it was so neat to see, I mean, people of the community that this is their first experience with the church. They kind of came in. It's wild to watch people. They kind of walk in and go, wow. It's like it's a building. With one. It's like a big open room, really, right, with chairs. But it's like, it's incredible to some people because they've never set foot in a church before. And so it was kind of neat to see. Uh, one other note, too, uh, kind of just reminded me of the Holy Spirit. Hopefully, uh, let's see, this week and next week are our last weeks to raise funds for Haiti. Hopefully the kids have been out there. I know Alina, she is like a missionary. She wants to raise money. She's like dragging people to the table. Um, but for every $20 we raise, right, we get to feed a family for two weeks and give them water as well. Um, you don't have to give $20, but for every 20 they get a bag of food and they get water. So this week and next week are our last weeks to do that. So if it's on your heart, great. If it's not, we understand. God didn't put it there. All right, so let's move back to our text here. Now, I don't know, I don't know how much experience you have with interacting with new believers. I have it from time to time because I either lead someone to Christ and disciple them or whatever. And new believers are cool to be around because there's a zeal. They're excited about what God's done for them. The Holy Spirit's kind of infused into their life, and they want to tell everybody about God. They're talking to everybody about God, and it's really exciting for them. And they start kind of embarking on this, you know, this is what Jesus did for me, and this is what Jesus can do for you, and I don't know what happens. But somewhere down the line, something happens. And I don't know if they get turned down. I don't know if they get offended. I don't know if somebody really bites their head off or them trying to witness to them. But all of a sudden, they sort of slow down and backtrack and mellow out and then life kind of happens and the busyness of life comes in and they just sort of 
are. And I think <laughs> that ought not to be. Uh, I think we should all be zealous witnesses, uh, bold witnesses, as it should be. And um, we, <laughs> somehow, it's so easy to lose that zeal, I think. Um, we're called to be a joyful people, to be overflowing in joy. And that's going to come through God working through us, God working in us. And that happens by obedience and listening to what he has to do. I mean, think about it. How many times have you been challenged, have you been prompted to say something to someone? And you just go, oh, I just don't have the time, or oh, it's like I might not be able to say the right thing, or oh, and we just sort of skirt around it and leave it. We have to understand that we're preventing God from working. We're, we're holding back what he wants to do through us. Because I'll tell you, if you start listening to those prompts, and it can be as simple as write somebody a note, give somebody a call, just say, you know, God bless you, or hold the door, whatever those prompts are, when we start listening to them and working out those things, God is going to become more and more vibrant in our life. We're going to hear his voice a whole lot clearer, a whole lot louder. And we will be changed by the working of the Spirit. I don't know about you. I love that. I'm energized by that in a very incredible, incredible way. All right, so let's move on here. Three questions we are left with, or that we want to answer really today, with respect to this whole idea and series of boldness. One is, how will people hear about Christ? Two, who will tell them about Christ? And three, what prevents us from testifying about Christ? So with that, first question we're going to answer, how will people hear about Christ? We go to Romans 10. It gives us a very clear imagery as far as what needs to go down. Romans 10, 13 through 15. It's on the screen, so you don't have to turn there. It says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, right? Oh, we're all praise the Lord, whoever will call the name. This is what needs to go down, though. How can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them, not acts really nice, not has a good testimony, not, you know, goes to go somewhere on Sundays and Wednesdays, none of that, tells them. And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. And that's literally where I'm taking, we need to be bold messengers. Otherwise, how are they going to know? Who's going to tell them? The media is not going to tell them. If anything, you know, they're trying to shut us down <laughs> and keep us quiet. So the characteristics of a messenger, let's go to our text now, Acts 18, uh, verses 1 to 4. It says, After these things, Paul departed from Athens, went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation they were tent makers. And he rant, uh, reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Now, cool little sidetrack here. Aquila and Priscilla, every time they're mentioned, 
For every time one of them is mentioned, the other is. They're always mentioned together, which is really cool. So they must have had some kind of a special relationship, which I think is kind of neat. And God sort of highlights it here, uh, which I find interesting. And they're spoken of very well. Uh, a little bit later on in the text, it talks about how they helped uh, Apollos really understand the baptism of Christ and all that came with that. Um, some people say they don't know at this point were they saved or not. I would say, you know, we're a little bit further in our text. They say they're helping Apollos understand, so I would say they're saved. Uh, with that thinking, that brings us to, you know, our first characteristic here, establishing spiritual accountability and community. Now, I say this because we need it in our life. And Paul knows it as well. Spiritual accountability and community. Who's challenging you spiritually? Anybody? Um, and I'll be honest with you, it's like a lot of times couples, we will, you know, husbands and wives will try to be that accountability for each other. And, you know, it, it's good, but I mean, men really need another guy that can look eyeball to eyeball and say, where are you at? And women really need another woman that can look eyeball to eyeball and say, where are you at? Because men know men and women know women and... It's just, it's a healthy thing. And I think we see that here with Paul. It's like, you know, he wanted to be connected to some Christians as he was trying to witness, as he was trying to get into this community. And he also saw the importance of community because he got connected to somebody who had his trade in mind. Because it's like he did not want to be a burden to the church. And I'll tell you, the church has been systematically removed from community as far as what it used to be. I mean, the church used to be the center of what went down. Education, understanding, how it ran. And now look at where we're at. It's, it's tragic. And I mean, my burden is so much for our community here. I want to see us as a body breaking out more and more into the community because they need what we've got. Desperately. And, and you know, yesterday that proved that. I mean, we had some people coming in that... Again, like I said, they're in awe of just, wow, this is a church, and wow, this is amazing. And, you know, can anybody come here? That, I mean, that's the question that like, gets me every time. Can anybody come here? It's like, of course. Of course you can come here. It's like, you know, is there anything special that has to happen? I mean, people are just that removed from what coming to church means. And so we have got to start influencing our community for Christ and helping them understand that Christians are not, you know, what, what the media has painted us to be. Crazy radicals that are against everything. That's, I mean, not, that's not who we are, right? So some characteristics here. First, establish spiritual accountability and community. Second, prioritize home life, occupation, and ministry. Those should be three things that are part of our world. Somehow, some way. And there should be a balance there for us. They should, should all, these three things should be part of our life. And if they're not, if we're focused more on home life or occupation or ministry, we need to bring some balance. Because imbalanced living is just, it's going to distract us. It's going to prevent us from hearing the word coming through the Holy Spirit. And we're going to get off on a rabbit trail and create our own problems in our own life. So Paul knew that. So prioritizing those, and that's what he did. He came in, he got to know people, he got settled, he got his business in place, and then boom, here we come, ministry. He reasoned in the synagogue, he persuaded both Jews and Greeks. He was about the business. Um, meet with God's people when they meet. Um, fellowship is so vital for us. 
especially if we are becoming more and more bold as messengers of Christ. Because we are going to have times where, man, somebody shut me down and it was horrible. And you need a brother or a sister to say, it's all right. <laughs> You'll make it through this. It's okay. And pray with them and have people supporting you. And that's what our spiritual community should be doing. Seeing where God has placed you as your mission field. And then pursuing those put, God puts in your path for Christ. I mean, do you see that? Do you see your neighborhood as a mission field? That, that you know, God allowed you to get into that neighborhood for a reason. Do you see the workplace as a mission field? That, you know what, God gave you that job and the strength and the ability to do that. If you're younger, you know, the school you're in. Do you see that as your mission field? And pursuing those people that God puts in your path for him. Um, it's all working those things out in our lives because otherwise, who's going to tell them? They're just going to go through life and it's, life is going to come, life is going to go, and they're not going to have any clue to who Christ is. So Paul, there were two things that he focused on in his uh, ministry here. Paul reasoned and persuaded. Now, your life's journey to become a Christian has equipped you to reason with other people. So what were the reasons behind you understanding your debt to God and what persuaded you to believe Jesus Christ paid the debt you owed? That's all you need to know. See, that's the thing. The enemy wants us to think, oh, you know, you need to have a doctorate to be able to be a witness. You need to have all of these words and all of this training to be able to tell somebody about Christ. But if you're sitting here this morning and you're trusting Christ as your Savior and you're trusting that... You're on your way to eternal destiny in heaven with God. If you know how that happened in your life, you can replicate that. You should be able to communicate exactly what you believed, what transformed your heart, and now gives you the confidence in Christ that you have. It doesn't take any special words. It doesn't take any special training. It just takes the same knowledge you have of how you came to Christ. And it's that simple. And see, we get hung up sometimes on how simple that is because it's like, how could it be that easy? There must be more to it. But see, that's where people stumble over the simplicity of the gospel. They do. Because it can't be that easy. But God has made it that way because it levels the playing field for all people. Ed Stetzer um, as a missiologist, uh, and you're like, what is that? Um, he focuses on uh, mission within churches, um, personal mission, and as far as being a witness for Christ and stuff like that. Um, he says this, the gospel is not habit, but history. Uh, the gospel is the declaration of something that actually happened. And since the gospel is the saving work of Jesus, it isn't something we can do, but it is something we must announce uh, we do live out its implications, but if we are to make the gospel known, we will do so through words. We have got to be talking about Christ and who he is and what he's done and how that all works. Because we have got to start infusing spiritual discussion into our community again, into our workplaces, into our neighborhoods, into our families you know, some people, some of you here might be the only believer in your family. And that's hard. 
Because <laughs> your family doesn't really want to hear from you a lot of times because it's like, who are you to tell us? But you're the one God's chosen, I think. <laughs> it's like, if you've got Christ, you've got an opportunity to witness and be bold about it. Um, question two, who will tell them? Verse five in uh, chapter 18 says this. Actually, we're going to go down to verse 8 as well. It says, When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue, then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. So I find this hilarious. Because here's Paul, he's going, right? He's going to the synagogue, he's talking about the word, he's reasoning in the word, they're, they're debating about the word. And finally, he gets to this place where he says, okay, Christ is the Messiah, and this is what he's done, and this is what it means to us. And the Jews are like, hold it. Wait a minute. No, 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 no. And I understand their, their apprehension. Uh, within the Jewish community, I mean, for hundreds of years, they've been taught the law, the law, the law. And they've been taught it's forever. It's never going to pass away. It's God's law for all eternity. And so they're not like willing to just accept this. Christ is the Messiah? No, no, no. It's the law is what we have to focus on. And this is how we're supposed to live. But ironically, it's like, so they throw Paul out of the synagogue. And where does God put Paul? Next door. <laughs> At Justice's place. I, I, I find that hysterical. It's like, fine, you don't want my wares? I'm going to set up a store next door and I'll sell them there. Not that we're selling anything here, but... But not only that, he took Crispus, the ruler from the synagogue, with him and his whole household. I, just, I find that hysterical. Because God is at work. And he knows what's going on. And he knows that if we start telling people about him, their lives are going to change. And we, we struggle with that. And a little bit later, we're going to talk about why. But we struggle with, if I tell somebody about Christ, if I witness to them, if I say something out loud. But who's going to tell them if we don't? Who is going to do that work if we don't? God's people are the ones who are equipped to tell others. And that kind of jumps off our, our first point. You have the skill. You have what you need if you're a believer in Christ. God's people are the ones that are supposed to be replicating. And you know, the picture we get, you know, being born again and being a babe in Christ, the picture we get is that family. There is nothing more stunning than to be a spiritual father or a spiritual mother to somebody. Because you get to see somebody come to Christ, you get to see their life change, and you get to see God mature them in a way that is just miraculous. And it's humbling. I, I mean, for me it is, because I just, I look at people's lives that I've been involved with and I'm humbled. You know, sometimes God grows somebody very slowly and very steadily. Sometimes God wants to do an incredible work in someone's life and they grow by leaps and bounds 
and they are these spiritual dynamos. It's just you don't, you don't know. But when God is at work in a life, people are changed. And it's amazing to watch and to be a part of. We're not responsible for someone's reaction to the gospel. And I think sometimes we, that's, you know, yeah, if, if I don't say it right. Paul said it right, and they still rejected it. See, it's about putting it out there. It's about discussing it. It's about proclaiming Christ as Messiah. It's about talking about salvation and the need for it. How people respond, it's not, it's not on us. God tells us to go and to tell, not to wait and to listen. <laughs> go and tell. And what people do with that is on them, and it's between them and God. And, and we can't get all caught up in what if. Our motivation comes from the example of Christ. Mark 6.34 says this, and it's up on the screen. It says, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. And I think that's where, for us to become bold messengers, it's seeing people the way Christ sees people. Like for us, a lot of times it's, you know, it's those people. <laughs> those unsaved people. And we try to protect ourselves or isolate ourselves and, and hide ourselves away because we don't want their influence. But we're challenged to be in the world and not of the world. And we're challenged to have compassion. Because these people don't know. These people. Unbelievers have no clue. And it's only getting worse for people who are unbelievers because generations upon generations upon generation is knowing less and less and less about anything connected to the church. And I mean, my heart breaks because of that. So who will tell them? Who will be the bold messenger? Here we see Paul doing, again, two things. Paul was compelled, and he testified. We see Paul compelled by the Spirit to tell others about Jesus Christ being the Messiah. We see Jesus being moved by compassion to teach people. My question for you is, what will compel you to testify of your changed life? What will compel you? Uh, in a little while, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And I, I want you to be thinking about our next question, really. <laughs> what prevents you from testifying? What's the barrier there? I mean, Christ laid it all on the line to the point where he was crucified and humiliated before the world. That's how committed he was to communicating who he was. What prevents you today? What's the barrier? Let's go back to our text. Acts 18, verse 9. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Interesting. I mean, one thing you would probably not say the Apostle Paul was, was fearful. 
But here we see God telling him, do not be afraid. And I think for us, fear is the greatest preventer. We're so afraid. Afraid of putting yourself out there without feeling backed up. Afraid of how people will react. Afraid of how people will think of you. Afraid of how a relationship may change. Afraid of being rejected by others. And the list goes on and on. We are not called to live in fear. You know, we're supposed to be more than conquerors in Christ, right? Not more than failures in Christ. No, we're supposed to be conquering and strong and vital and bold messengers for our Father, for our brother in Christ. Fear is experienced when we live by sight, and it's the opposite of living by faith. Completely. Um, living by faith is trusting God regardless of the outcome. And that's what every one of those encounters is going to be. Every time you get that, that prod to say something or do something, it's going to be fearful and stop or bold and go. And we're, we're called to be bold. We're called to go and do. And as that happens and as we overcome that fear, it's going to change us. It's going to change how we relate. It's going to change how we interact. It's also going to change our relationship with God. It's only going to become more intimate. It's only going to become more clear to us. We're only going to have a better understanding of God's using me to speak here, to interact there, to help out there. And I'll tell you, that becomes a dynamic life overflowing in joy. Our three questions. How will people hear about Christ? Only if we're bold witnesses, bold messengers for him. Who will tell them about Christ? Who? It's up to us. It's up to you. Think about the people in your neighborhood. Think about the people in your family. Think about the workplace that you live in. All the, the places that you are a regular in where they know, you know what kind of coffee you drink or what kind of donut you buy or whatever the case may be, what meal you get. Have you been a bold messenger there? Do they know anything? But what prevents you from testifying about Christ? To me, that's the big question here. What prevents you from testifying about Christ? Closing with this one last statement from Matthew Henry, in light of this whole idea, says, it is the cause of heaven you are pleading. Do it boldly. Do not speak shyly with, and with caution, but plainly and fully and with courage. Speak out. There's a lost and dying world that is knowing less and less and less about Jesus Christ, who he is, what he's done, and the salvation that he can provide. We cannot let anything prevent us from speaking out about who he is. So as we get ready to take communion today and have that time of reflection, ask the Lord, what prevents you 
for being a bold messenger for him. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word. And Lord, um, we're overwhelmed a little bit by this challenge. Uh, Lord, it's real easy to, to kind of live the Christian life out loud and live comfortably as a Christian and do the things that you call us to do as far as serving and being involved and giving and all that. But Lord, for whatever reason, being a bold witness for you is a challenge. Lord, some are gifted there and they do it well. But Lord, most, it is a huge barrier that prevents us from saying a word. Lord, reveal those things to us so that we can be your hands and your feet, that we can be uh, the messengers that you've called us to be so that we will go and we will tell others about who you are. And it's in your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior's name, we pray.